Sunday, May 26th, the greatest spectacle in racing returns. The Indianapolis 500 on NBC and Peacock. 33 of the world's fastest drivers go head-to-head for a chance to kiss the bricks, taste the milk, and claim their place in racing history. Experience the drama, the pageantry, the tradition. Live from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the Indy 500, Sunday, May 26th on NBC and Peacock. Or listen on Sirius XM NBC Sports Channel. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Well, look, great being on here today with you guys. A lot of fun. Appreciate it. And and, uh, I'm sure next Thursday morning I'll get a call from my son. You're going to be on, aren't you? Not, you know it. Will you come it's on? Coming. It's you're gonna be on, right? So <laughs> I don't. You know, Ahmed. I don't know where I went wrong, but you know, hey, hindsight. We're all geniuses after the fact. So I just live with it. I raised him, hey, so I gotta live with it. Yeah, your kids need right. you, especially this kid. So thanks, thanks Dad. All right, guys. Man. Oh, it's a Monday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. Chris's technological problems become contagious. I had to relocate the operation from my studio to my office. Good morning, Chris. I hope you had a great Father's Day. I hope that you had fun with your family. I hope you had some fun family activities. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Good to see you. Uh, I know you're a little flustered. I don't know what room of the house you're in there. You're not in your studio. It's not too late for you to move up to Connecticut, you know, you could do that still, all right? But either way, did you enjoy your Father's Day? Was it a good day? I know we had a good one. I went over to uh, the big effers house. We played some wiffle ball. Um, I will say I probably played the worst wiffle ball game of my 40-year-old life to this point. But other than that, we won the game, had some good family outings, swam in the pool, and uh, I'm looking forward. Mike, this is the last day, last week of work. We got a few weeks off, and I'm pumped for that, too. Let me say two things. First of all, and the control room can vouch for me on this, my reaction to technological difficulties, far different than your reaction to technological (laughs) difficulties. There has been no profanity. Serenity now, as we try to get things worked out, and Pete Demolaitis says that is confirmed. And I also have confirmed that you do stink at wiffle ball. Sources (laughs) Sources <laughs> close to me tell me, because look, the reporting does not stop at the water's edge of football. Sources close to me tell me that in the wiffle ball game, someone struck out swinging and got hit in the face with the ball. Well, who did you who did you talk to? 
How did you find that out? I mean, many I was gonna sources. I, yeah, apparently, uh, I you must you must have got Big Phil's number. That has to be because I was gonna bring that up as the show went on, but now that you know that, oh, the sabotage was in. Yeah, I took one off the face from my brother-in-law because my dad kept going, "Hey, move closer, move closer." Make it easier. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm nine feet away from a guy that's 280 pounds swinging a, a small little bat. Whacked me right in the face. Yes, and I did strike out. So it was a rough day, but we got the win, Mike. Sometimes you just got to battle through, you know, and I just I found a way to get it done. The only guy in the history of wiffle ball to actually swing at a bean ball is Chris Sims, which explains why you went the route of football and not Baseball. Anyway, it's time to talk football, and there is a development as it relates to the Dallas Cowboys and quarterback Dak Prescott, subject to the franchise tag, one year, $31.4 million. The way things have been framed out, they were leaning toward that deadline of July 15 for striking a long-term deal. If they didn't, that's when things could have gotten very interesting because Dak Prescott has the right to hold out into training camp preseason without getting up a dime. He could have shown up a few days before the start of the regular season, gotten his entire $31.4 million. The only risk was the Cowboys at some point could have rescinded the franchise tender, made him a free agent. He wouldn't have been able to find another team at that point. And Stephen Jones, the team COO, told me several weeks ago that's not something they were going to do. Well, Dak Prescott wasn't willing to take that risk, Chris. He's signing it. He's accepting it. He's under contract at $31.4 million. Now the work continues on getting a deal done by July 15, your thoughts on Dak making this move that he really didn't have to make right now? No, didn't have to make. I can't say that I'm shocked that he did make it. You know, like you said, I think the big thing is, and a lot of people lose sight of this if you're not paying attention to the day-to-day details, is he can still negotiate a long-term deal here as long as it's for July 15th. You know, Mike, there's a few things I want to ask you. First off, I mean, it makes sense, yes, you know, sign it right now as a football player. You're starting to get into some intense workouts. You're on the field more. A guy like Dak Prescott probably lifting weights, doing all those things a little bit more aggressively. So you sign the franchise tender. It does protect you if something were to happen to you. We saw a few injuries of football players last week and some of their workouts with other teammates and things like that. So I bet you that kind of like struck a chord with him and his camp to a degree. And then, you know, Mike, the other thing I want to ask you here, do you think the fact of the lack of a force majeure and we don't know how this year is going to play out, do you just get, you know, named a paper right now and get it going? And, and just in case there is no football, you have a contract signed and you still have wiggle room to say you expect money? Would that be part of their thinking? Well, I think more specifically at a time of great uncertainty – this is certainty. Yeah. This is $31.4 million that is fully guaranteed, period. And there's not anything they can do about it. Now, collectively, what the NFL can do, and the NFL would argue, I believe, based on things I've been told, that if there are no games at all this season, then the players aren't entitled to be paid because language in the standard contract implies that the Game checks start when the games start. So if the games never start, the checks never start. Beyond that, there's no protection this year. The protection comes next year. And Chris, here's why this is important. Next year, if the salary cap would drop, the franchise tag numbers would drop under the base franchise tag. But for Dak Prescott, 
By rule, he's entitled to a 20% raise over what he makes this year. 31.4 becomes 37.68, regardless of what happens with the salary cap next year. So he's locked in for 69.08 million over the next two years, year to year. And look, next year's not guaranteed, but you know what? Last year, Chris, he played for $2 million with no guarantees, with a long-term contract the Cowboys offered him that he said, no thanks, I don't want it. I'm betting on myself with $2 million in hand. This year, he's betting on himself with $31.4 million in hand and the promise of 20% next year. And this gets back to what we talked about several weeks ago. At the end of the day, when July 15 rolls around, all that matters is what will the Cowboys offer him to get him to trade in the $69.08 million over the next two years, plus the craziness that happens in year three. $45 million under the transition tag, $54 million under the franchise tag, or you become Kirk Cousins and walk away. What will the Cowboys offer him to get him to do that? That's the question now. And now that he signed the franchise tag, that is framed. I think there was a concern that when they got to July 15, and if the Cowboys got exasperated by him not taking that last best offer, they may say to him, hey, you know what? We didn't think we were going to rescind the tender. But if you don't take this, we are. That is completely off the table now once he accepts that franchise tag. Well, you know, I saw that you wrote that on pro, you know, profootballtalk.com. I found that interesting. I mean, yeah, would they have taken that 31.4 million and you wrote the example I think specifically was what? Sign a Jadeveon Clowney, ride with Andy Dalton as your starting quarterback and there was maybe another player you talked about Jamal as as signing. No. No, exactly. I mean, making a trade. Right. You, you take you take away the 31-4 that otherwise goes to Dak, you get Clowney, you trade for Adams, you ride with Dalton, or maybe you have enough money left over, you can get Cam Newton. And as we get closer and closer to July 15, and those negotiations maybe get more contentious, and the Cowboys just finally say, this guy's never going to accept what we're willing to pay him. That's it. We're done. That's gone now. And, and look, the chances of that happening were slim, but right. now they're none because they can't take it away. They can't pivot to plan B with Andy Dalton and spend that money on others. And I think that, that look, I think that was a factor in this. It's not going to be anything they can threaten or suggest. And remember, the GM is the owner, right? So you have a wild card with the Cowboys that you don't have anywhere else. The GM doesn't have to worry about getting in trouble with the owner. The GM can do whatever he wants because he is the owner. And I think that may knock some guys wobbly when it's time to negotiate. So you try to prevent that. By making it clear going in, you're not going to have that nuclear option. The $31.4 million is essentially in my pocket. Yeah, well, it, it, it's smart from that sense. It does make sense. And, you know, the other thing that, that first popped into my brain, too, you know, as far as Dak Prescott, his agent, where they are in this conversation, the camp. And, Mike, I know you wrote this about this on, on ProFootballTalk.com as well. But, you know, with Prescott, here he is. Dallas Cowboys quarterback, new head coach. There's certainly people that are, you know, arguing on TV and even on social media. I know I have a lot of these comments on my Twitter reactions and things. Dak Prescott really worth this much money, all of these type of things. Okay, great. Doesn't really matter. Uh, but I do think the one thing is with Dak Prescott, a true professional, he understands how polarizing of a subject he is. It's a new head coach. And this is something I thought about. I mean, did we really think that Dak Prescott was not going to partake in training camp and have a holdout that way? 
And I think realistically, the answer is we didn't expect him to be that type of guy. And he's not that type of guy. So for him to be there, too, he knows, okay, I'm going to training camp. I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. We got a team that's in a window. So he just signs it now and gets it over with. So there's no more second guessing or conversations that way either. And I think that was probably a big part of it as well. I think you're absolutely right, Chris. He was not going to hold out in yeah. the training camp or the preseason. Le'Veon Bell, three years ago with the Steelers, did that. Stayed away right. as long as he could. And he plays a position that is more conducive to plug and play, especially when you've got continuity of coaching staff and offensive coordinator. You know the offense. You stay away as long as you can, and then you show up and you're good to go, although it takes a while to get to the point where you're good to go. For Dak Prescott, you need the reps. You need the time. And he's looking at it as this is a contract year. Last year was a contract year at $2 million, and it worked out because this year I'm in a position for another contract year at $31.4 million. And to get the $37.68 million next year, which is the 20% raise over this year, he's got to have a good enough season. And yeah. so that, that's – look, I remember when Kirk Cousins got tagged by Washington – both times, he instantly signed it. This is my chance to go out and prove it for a quarterback that's so much more important than other positions where you don't have to be there every step of the way. So Dak will be there every step of the way. He'll position himself to have a great year. And then next year, if they can't work out a long-term deal, fine, pay me $37.68 million this year, knowing that next year you're going to have a hell of a mess on your hands and you may see me walk away. Yeah, that's right. He kind of, uh, you know, ups the ante a little bit about next year and everything that goes along with it. And I think it is smart, you know, as far as what he's doing there makes sense. And, you know, Mike, to your point, quarterback, running back, you know, all right. So running back, pass rusher, wide receiver, you can get away with not being at training camp. Yeah, your biggest obstacle is going to be, OK, I need to get back and get into football shape. As a quarterback, and especially a young quarterback, and a lot of things you mentioned, uh, uh, Mike, about Dak Prescott, it's a big year. He wants to be able to puff out his chest at the end of this year and go, yeah, you paid me $31.4 million, but I played awesome. I played better than $31.4 million. So he's still going to be able to threaten them with a long-term deal or nonetheless, like you said, be happy with the 20% raise. But the quarterback position, just it, it's too hard to miss training camp and play the financial gamble game as compared to the other positions. There's too many nuances that have to be learned and talked about with receivers and tight ends and different protection calls for offensive linemen, let alone it's a new head coach with a guy that's Mike McCarthy that's going to teach a guy like Dak Prescott, you know, the ways of his offense and also a few tricks of the trade as far as what he teaches his quarterback or what he used to teach Aaron Rodgers to read on these certain plays. And those are little things and, you know, intricacies and nuances of an offense that really take a quarterback from being good to great. And you'll miss that in training camp. And I think that's the other thing, too. Dak Prescott realizes that. I think he's a real professional. We both know that. And uh, I, I think that's why you can't risk this at quarterback at, at that position, especially. And when you're a team leader, it's just a given that those are the things you're going to do, Chris. Remember the blowback Le'Veon Bell got when he did stay away, when he did not show up, and he was getting some friction? I mean, the men you're supposed to be leading in the locker room are going to turn. They're going to look for a leader somewhere else, and they're going to question you if you're not there. And then 
Andy Dalton is replacing that that leadership vacuum. He's filling the void while you're gone, and it just creates issues and problems, and Dak Prescott understands that. Now, as to the contract itself that may or may not be negotiated by July 15, Chris, something you've been saying all along, and this is the absolute 100% truth, he wants a four-year deal, period. And he is dug in on a four-year deal. Because if you do a four-year deal, they can still use the franchise tag on you to make it a five-year deal or then a six-year deal. He is right. dug in on that four-year deal. He's not letting go. If they're going to get him to sign by July 15 and give up 31.4 this year, 37.68 next year, they're going to have to do a four-year deal. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, that's the thing that I'd always heard through the process of that fourth and fifth-year deal were you know, the huge, huge arguing points here. And, you know, I understand it as a player. I do. Of course I do. I'm sensitive to that. You want to get back to the bargaining table as many times as you can in your career. It's a short career. Even if you play a long time in the history of the NFL, as far as what that's considered, you know, it's still a short part of your life and a short part of your life to make money and support the rest of your life and family and things that go along with that. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I just wonder what's the Cowboys stance? Are we just talking pure salary cap numbers here? Uh, or or what is it that's kind of the impediment that's in the way? Is it guaranteed money? Those are the little things we don't really know. And I'm just interested to kind of hear what, what that last other issue is or what's the last offer on the table, you know, as far as what's been offered to Dak Prescott in his camp at this point. Well, remember, when you have a July 15 deadline, the last offer is not going to get there until we get yeah. close to the deadline. Because if you make your last offer well enough in advance, you're going to get squeezed off of it because it's driven by the deadline. I think the Cowboys are flabbergasted that they're dealing with a guy who was a fourth round draft pick, never got big money from a football perspective. He's made some money off the field in endorsements. And, you know, they want credit for that. But Somebody pointed out to me yesterday, it's not like Chad Hutchinson and Quincy Carter ever got big endorsements just because they were the Cowboys quarterback. You still have to be a good player. And if you're a yeah. good player wherever you are, the endorsements have a chance of coming. But and a good Cowboys, person, too. Yeah. Right. And you look at what Tony Romo did. Tony Romo was undrafted. Tony Romo wasn't supposed to be in the NFL. When the time came for him to work out a long-term deal, he took less. Because at a certain level, he's not even supposed to be there. Dak showed up and stepped in for Tony Romo. He saved them when Romo was done when Dak was a rookie in 2016. He started every game. He's been a model citizen, a great leader, a great quarterback. And he's not playing that game of, I'm just going to take less out of the goodness of my heart or because I can. I, look, he they, they took advantage of everything in the CBA that allowed them to force him to play out the full four years under his rookie deal. And they took advantage of the CBA by using the franchise tag and keeping him off the open market and using the exclusive tag so he couldn't even negotiate with another team that may be willing to give up two first-round picks, a difference of like four or five million more. So now he has rights, he has opportunities, he has leverage, and he has every right to use it. And I think what's driven them crazy is that he's willing to do it because a lot of players aren't. Yeah, well, I, I'll say I didn't know if I thought Dak Prescott would be willing to do it. I don't. You know, just being around him, the things I've heard, I thought he was such a team guy. And I'm not saying he's not a team guy. It has nothing to do with, you know, personally negotiating times, a deal. Chris, yeah, right. How many times do we have to show the picture of him giving you the side eye when you I asked know. him that? You don't need to speculate. You tried to, to, you tried to negotiate the deal on behalf of the Joneses, and he uh, gave you a look. And that look he was... Did. 
This is a business. They treat it as a business. I'm treating it as a business. No, and I, and I totally get that, and I respect that, and I, I'm very sensitive to the fact that Dak Prescott, being a fourth-round pick, has not made any money, plays a pretty physical brand of football for the quarterback position. I mean, this is a guy, you know, if you go back and look at his highlights from last year or other years, he's diving in the end zone. He's lowering his shoulder, running over linebackers to get in the end zone, do all those type of things. So I, I am very sensitive to that. I totally get that. I just guess I just, like I said, I would have pegged him as more of the I'll take less for the team. And, you know, again, too, uh, not that, not, <laughs> not that I want to. again? Well, there it is. Yeah. Oh, and look at that. I'm wearing the same shirt today. How, what a coincidence. <laughs> uh, look at that. This thing's still in good mine. shape. That was, that was two Super Bowls ago. But I do think there's a fine line, okay, at the quarterback position. And I'm not trying to say this to disrespect to Dak Prescott or any other quarterback out there of doing what is right for yourself. And I understand you take care of yourself first and also trying to have the team in your mind to a degree. I know if he wants to be an, if you want to be an all time great and things like that, you might have to sacrifice a little bit in dollars so you can sign a few extra players. That's all I'm saying. That's all. I just know if I was in his position I would be thinking of those things. I know it's easier said than done, uh, but I would, like I've always told you, I don't think it would be life-changing if I had $160 million in the bank instead of $175 million in the bank. I think I'd rather have maybe more playoff wins or better receivers or things like that too. And maybe you make that difference up in you know post-career accolades and commercials or anything like that. I'm just throwing that out there. It's where my, my mind would have gone as a player myself. Or you take the approach Peyton Manning took, and I know. his attitude was, it's my job to play quarterback and negotiate the best possible deal for me. It's your job to worry about the salary cap. And Chris, the one thing we can't forget, the world is different than it was when Peyton Manning was the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. The yeah. rookie wage scale that arrived in 2011 has dramatically changed what teams pay out, especially the first-round draft picks. So... If you have a good scouting staff, and we've seen what the Cowboys have done in recent years, how well they've gone out and found young players who can come in and contribute, even when they are mid to late round, oh, like Dak Prescott, keep, keep doing that. Because the more you do that, the less you need me to take less. And that's that. And you want to get others to take team-friendly deals? Fine, that's their prerogative. I'm not doing it. I play the most important position on the field. And I gave you four years at peanuts at peanuts and now it's time for me to get my steak yeah that's the big thing it's the four years of peanuts that make it a different situation and you're very right the fact that he's a fourth rounder there is the rookie wage scale all of those things it's a game changer here uh and, and i think you're right though the more than anything four years of peanuts makes him I don't, for lack of a better phrase a hair more desperate than we see in most quarterbacks in this situation and I'm sure he feels like he's got some making up to do as far as dollars and cents are concerned. And uh, I, I do get that. And I totally understand that and, and support Dak Prescott from that standpoint all the way. I think you and I should negotiate the Prescott contract. You represent the Cowboys. I represent Dak. And if there's any difficulty, I'll just throw a wiffle ball at your head. <laughs> You're very funny. And trust me, the Jones family, they don't want me negotiating that contract. There's things I'm good <laughs> and bad at in life. 
that ain't one of them. So don't, don't, you don't want that. I'll put the Cowboys salary cap into all types of hell if you had me dealing with it. So don't do that. Well, we can now slide wiffle ball into the bad category. There are many things you are very good at, Chris, but not wiffle ball. We're going to take a break. It was a weekend of some bad news, kind of scattered random bad news about the coronavirus situation. But there is good news as it relates to the NFL. We'll tell you what it is next right here on Pro Football Talk Live. Seems like every news cycle over the past few days has had another piece of information, Chris, about the coronavirus. And the most significant piece and a piece of bad news came from the NFL Players Association over the weekend. Dr. Tom Mayer issued an advisory to all players. Please be advised that it is our consensus medical opinion that in light of the increase in COVID-19 cases in certain states, that no players should be engaged in practicing together in private workouts. Our goal is to have all players and your families as healthy as possible in the coming months. We are working on the best mitigation procedures at team facilities for both training camps and the upcoming season and believe it is in the best interest of all players that we advise against any voluntary joint practices before training camp commences. I mean, this comes at a time when Kyler Murray was supposed to be getting 20 guys together with him in Dallas. No word on whether or not that continues, but a strong message to all players, Chris, to be careful about getting together for these workouts because the virus is out there. And as these players get together and have workouts, we've seen it with the Buccaneers. We've seen it with the 49ers. Guys are testing positive. Yeah, well, I mean, no crap they're testing positive. We, I mean, this is what's going to happen. You know, this is, goes back to my, like, what I've been saying, you know, and I know you, you've been backing me up here, but this is six weeks of, I, I just, I'm becoming less and less optimistic about football unless we all wrap our heads around it in the NFL, especially I'm talking about, that you're going to get this this year. And that's going to be the price to doing business. And I don't sit here feeling proud to say that, but like two things, Mike. First off, if I'm a quarterback of a team and it's June 21st right now, and I, I just don't care. I'm going out to throw footballs with other guys on my teams. I don't care NFLPA if you send a nice letter out or the NFL. I'm worried about my craft and where I'm going to be at. Am I still going to try to make sure the guys I, I'm throwing with and myself are being, you know, strict with rules and listening to the CDC and not doing stupid things. Certainly I would try to be respectful of all those things, not going to see anybody that I would feel that is susceptible, you know, to being in real danger. If they did get COVID-19, I would be sensitive to all of that, but I would not, not be practicing football with other guys on my team right now. And I, and I just, I echo it again. I just don't know how it's going to happen this year. I don't know. I mean, to me, it's like, hey, we're going to get it. So are we going to get it and then just quit the league and stop for the year? Or are we going to get it and we're going to push forward and go, of course we're getting it. It's going rampant around our country right now. And let's just try to deal with it the best way possible. I don't want to be insensitive that way. I know that's the way I would think of them a player. And please, Mike, tell me if I am being insensitive. Well, no, you're not being insensitive. You're being pragmatic about the way young men in their early 20s, late 20s will be thinking because they want to play football. And I think they recognize their physical risks for immediate serious injury are far greater than whatever may happen to them if they would end up getting the coronavirus. And the reality is most of these guys 
don't have to worry about it. I had a long talk with somebody who knows what's going on as far as the league is concerned over the weekend. The only category of player that they are really concerned about when it comes to a potentially very negative outcome is somebody who's had chemotherapy within the last year or two. Now, James Conner, it's been several years. The Steelers running back is one guy that comes to mind. There aren't a lot of players in the NFL who fall into that category. For some coaches, especially older coaches, coaches who may have diabetes, coaches who may have had cancer in the past, that becomes a problem. And they may just have to give some coaches the option of taking the year off, which is on the table. But where the good news comes from, I'm told the NFL continues to be highly optimistic the season is going forward. And even as we get the dribs and drabs of 23 Clemson players testing positive, 30 LSU players testing positive, the belief is that what's happening there, a couple of things. First of all, some of these schools aren't going to have the same procedures that the NFL is going to have. And second of all, the belief is these infections, these mini outbreaks are happening in the weight room. And think about it. Heavy air, guys who are, exhale, are exhaling droplets into that heavy air and it's hot and right. pressed in there. You got to be very careful how many guys are in the weight room because that is the kind of place where the transmission can happen. The thinking is... On the field, it's less likely to be a problem because you don't get that same concentration of the infected droplets in a confined space where it can get into your nose and get into your eyes. So there is a high degree of optimism that they're going to be able to work this out. And when we look at the teams, it's just a handful of guys per team of the handful of teams that have had positives. At the college level, it's these outbreaks and the thinking is they're weightlifting, they're in the weight room, and that's how it's spreading. And also, it's college kids acting like college kids away right. from their workouts. Professional athletes, for the most part, are going to be counted upon to be more responsible about avoiding the virus. So there is good news there, and there is cause. Now, look, they're not optimistic, or at least not as optimistic as they were a month and a half ago, that there will be fans in the stands. There was optimism in early May that that would work out. But they are optimistic they're going to get their games in, Chris. And there's too much money riding on it for them not to figure out a way to do it. I, I mean, I, I would think so. I hear that, you know. And, yeah, I still think the college co football kids have a lot more problems in college football and COVID-19 as compared to the NFL, no doubt about it. You're right. In college, first off, you're always with your teammates. And, you know, you're going to the cafeteria to eat. It's more of a group team effort type thing. You know, we just watched the, some of the Raiders and Derek Carr there with their personal workout on TV and all those things. Hey, in the NFL, guys hang out to each other, but it's not like in mass groups. Like the quarterback might go have lunch right after that with one or two receivers. And then, you know, a few do, DBs go somewhere else and do their thing. College, yeah, you're more, more apt to, like, congregate as a full team or a full unit, and it can be passed on. But, Mike, I ask you this. Like – Still, nonetheless, you're right about the weight room thing. Okay, all of that. You know, I mean, it's still the first time they do a short yardage drill in NFL training camp, you know, things are going to change when it's the first fourth and goal or third and goal from the one yard line. And we're going to do it live and we're going to get in a scrum of bodies. and We're going to run it up the middle. Okay, that's going to be an issue. If someone's sick there, I'm sorry. Everybody else is going to get sick too. But Mike, are we going to get to a point where – and I haven't paid attention to the Premier League as much just to know what's going on there and are people safe and healthy. But do you think we get to a point here where they're just going to ask players to go sign a waiver? Are you OK with getting COVID-19 and being around others that might have it? And we'll do the proper things to keep everybody safe when that's going around our locker room or what it is. 
or or not? Do you think that could happen in the NFL with the NFLPA and all that? Well, I think the waiver is going to be signed for NFL players, and what it's going to be is the collective waiver that is signed on behalf of all players yeah. by the NFL Players Association. And I think there will be an allowance in there. If there are players who do not want to play because of the virus, and Devin McCourty, the Patriots defensive back, said on his podcast last night that there are guys who are nervous. There are guys who are concerned. And you know what? With that many guys, 53 on the active roster for 32 teams, there's a chance you're going to have guys who say, I'm just taking this year off. And I think part of the negotiation with the NFLPA will be to come to the conclusion that whoever chooses to show up understands the risks and assumes the risks. And whoever doesn't, it's not like he's going to be fined. It's not like he's going to have some major financial penalty or has to pay back bonus money. Now, probably not going to get paid for this season. But I think that option will be there for players and for coaches who just feel like they're not comfortable doing it. And maybe for both players and coaches, there will be other avenues for compensating them during what will be a season of no money at all if they choose not to play. So that's how it's going to be handled. It's not going to be individual waivers. It's going to be the NFLPA saying these are the rules. And if there are guys who choose as the product of conscientious thought and deliberation to not do it, they're not going to be treated like like a Jamal Adams if he decides just to not show up for training camp because he, he wants more money. And look, right. will, will that allow some guys who simply want more money to say, I'm choosing not to play because of the virus? I guess, but that's yeah. unavoidable. Yeah, you're right. That is unavoidable. And, you know, first off, I don't ever think that's a, a great formula for any football player is to take the year off. I mean, especially to use COVID-19 as an excuse because you're not being paid what you want. Yeah, you might oh. be okay and safe and all those things, but you're right. still not but, practicing but Chris, your craft and you're losing a year of prime of your right. career too. Right. I mean, you're right. No one's going to want to do it. Now, maybe there'll be a handful yeah. of guys, but the idea that someone would use the ability to get a, a year off because of the virus as some sort of contractual leverage, that, that would be no different than... You know, when we were talking about teams possibly hacking Zoom conference calls in advance of the draft and trying to invade, you're taking advantage of a serious public health situation and anyone who would do that deserves to be called out for it. Yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, I, I think uh, the other thing that, that jumps out to me more than anything, and it's the proper approach, you can't, in a year like this, Force players to play. I think that's the proper thing, too, to do as well. Give them some wiggle room. There are going to be some players who might have family health histories or any or something about their health history that, you know, we don't know about. We don't know about some of these things these guys are dealing with, whether they just don't feel comfortable. That makes them more susceptible to get COVID-19 or whatever it may be. Yeah, I think that's a smart move. I just I wish we were a little farther down the road. Am I wrong to think that it's June 20th and like I haven't heard a a player vote or a conversation enough between the NFLPA and the NFL quite yet about this type of stuff? Well, I, we are getting closer and closer to the start of training camp five weeks or so away. And that was the point I made last week. There isn't a lot out there that we can cling to to make me feel like they're going to get this worked out. We're going to have up to 90 guys showing up for training camp. Although, as I said last week, some teams are going to go possibly with 75 or 80 just to reduce the size of the number of guys they have to contend with. But at some point, you got to make a deal 
with the union. But the thing is, the union's got every incentive to do a deal because on one hand, you, you potentially are going to lose a lot of money if you miss games or don't have a season. On the other hand, the players all want to play. So the rank and file will be constantly texting and calling Demora Smith and other members of union leadership saying, work this out, work this out. We don't want to be like baseball. We want to play football. Let's work this out. And, and I think they eventually will. The question is, when will they do it? And the clock definitely is ticking, Chris. Yeah, well, I know right now the clock's ticking and, and just the way it looks to me right now, I, I don't feel good about training camp for the season starting on time. To me, it feels like it's going to get off to a late start here. That they're gonna, We're going to have some details not ironed out. And yeah, we're going to get to mid-July and we're going to, you know what? They're going to move training camp back a week or two. I don't know that. I'm just, that's just what it looks like to me. You know, again, the, the NFL's going to have to talk about the, co- talk to the coaches which is not a, I mean, you know, a union either to where they're going to have to get figured out where they feel about this situation. I'm sure they're going to have to have some sort of vote or, you know, at least conversation about how comfortable they are going forward as well. And Chris, I'll say this. There's a disconnect between what's going on behind the scenes and what we know about. And it seems like a very important point from our perspective. We're like, what the hell's going on? They need to find a way to get the message out that things are moving in the right direction. You don't want to create false hope, but you don't want people to hear all these different news items and string them together and say, holy crap, we're not going to have football this year. Well, you're right. And even I think coaches, even the NFL right now, are like saying the same thing. Like they haven't even gotten the message of what's going on. And they feel, you know, we saw Sean McVay last week make a few comments like, how the hell is this supposed to work? I mean, hey, if Sean McVay's not being told what the hell's going on, then we know there's a lot of people in in dark in the NFL. All right, we're going to take a break. In Washington, some changes are being made, some big changes relating to the football team. Not the change that everyone is pushing for, though. We will talk about the latest from that franchise when PFT Live continues right after this. The Premier League is built on hope. Hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long, but Darwin Nunez to make an impression. The hope of rewriting history. And the hope of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA, and Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Go for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. 
Well, technological issues, Christopher, have been resolved here. It was an interesting first 35 minutes of the program down in my office doing it on FaceTime. It kind of, not that I've done this very often, it was kind of like cutting grass barefoot, you know? You don't want to get your toes anywhere. You know, you're conscious of things you're not otherwise conscious of. You don't want to get your toes anywhere close to the blade. You're just very, very, like, everything's got to be just, like, you, you just worry about things that you wouldn't otherwise worry about when you have a curveball that gets thrown at you or, as the case may be, a wiffle ball that hits you in the face. So it's great to be back in my normal habitat. It, it, it's, I, I'm jealous. I mean, that you got the professional mic and you're back in a professional studio and here I'm still on FaceTime and doing all that. I wanted to ask you about that room you were in. You know, I saw that like baseball seat behind you. I feel like I saw a rocket ship or something behind you. I wanted to ask you all types of questions, but I didn't get to. So maybe we'll dive into that tomorrow in the opening of the show and we can pick apart all your little sports memorabilia and figure out what it was. I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you everything that was in there and there's also a new edition that was sitting on the coffee table that my nephew made several years ago that is a montage of all sorts of football pictures although Chris Sims did not make it because I did not know you at the time that that table was made. All right, uh let's get to it now that things are back to semi normal although Chris continues to be in his home studio. And you know, let me just say this. The fact that we've had to do all this, like it would have been inconceivable four months ago that if my camera wasn't working, I'd go down to my office and do the show on FaceTime. Like you can't do that. Well, you can do that. And people do that now. And TV is produced in a very different way altogether. Okay. Um, Some news out of Washington this weekend. The George Preston Marshall Monument at RFK Stadium was removed. Now, obviously... The team hasn't played there in decades, but it was a a reminder of the fact that the momentum is moving toward potentially changing the name of the team. We talked last week about a message that was sent by Coach Ron Rivera to the organization, to the employees of the organization, regarding things that they are going to do, actions they are going to take. And it felt to me like an invitation for someone to initiate organically from within the team itself a push to consider changing the name, a dictionary-defined racial slur. So that that all is pending, and we'll see how many other voices join in on that. But there have been columns by people like Jarrett Bell of USA Today. There was an editorial board item from the Washington Post on Friday, and there is that pressure on the team. And this removal of the George Preston Marshall Monument only adds to the idea that that – Maybe this is the time, and if not now, when, to change that name, Chris? Yeah, well, I, I think the pressure is going to continue to mount. I mean, this, this fight's not going anywhere, as we saw again this weekend. There's still protesters out across the country trying to get rid of symbols that remind people of bad times or a bad part of history, and I get that. You know, and hey, I do think the Redskins' name is – it should be in big trouble. It should be changed. Sorry. That's just the way it is. You know, it's disrespectful. It is. And you wouldn't go up to a Native American on the street and, you know, call them that to their face, especially a true tribal one like we've talked about, Mike. Now, when it comes to George Preston Marshall, I mean, are you shocked by this? Of course not. I mean, this is a guy that was considered like the biggest racist in the NFL for a long, long time. And 
People are just sick of those people kind of being memorialized. But go ahead. Sorry. Actively, He actively resisted integrating yes. his team. He had to basically go kicking and screaming. He had to be threatened. He had to be leveraged by the Kennedy right. administration to finally bring uh, Bobby Mitchell onto the team in the early 60s. And coincidentally, and, and maybe this is just a baby step toward what could be coming, the lower bowl at FedEx Field was named for George Preston Marshall. It is going to be named for Bobby Mitchell. They are going to retire Mitchell's number. He died earlier this year. So maybe maybe the, the clues are out there as to where this thing is going. But, uh, you know, actions are happening. Uh, the question is, will they stop short of changing the name? And I, I, we'll see. And we'll see if there's any pressure that comes from within the organization at the vague general invitation of Ron Rivera to the employees of the team last week to suggest things they can do to be part of this effort to change in this historic moment of awakening when it comes to racism and social justice. Will it happen from within? And if it does, will Daniel Snyder heed the call, Chris? Well, I mean, I wish he would. Daniel Snyder, I mean, I know he's an intelligent man. You know, I, I don't look at a Daniel Snyder and the fact that, that I've been around him one or two times in my life and go, Oh, this guy's just evil. He's got evil in his eyes. No, I don't. I don't look at it that way. You know, do I agree with everything he's done as an owner of his football team? No, I don't. You know, have I liked how he's handled certain situations? No, not all of them. But I mean, I got respect for the guy, and I would think he would be smart enough to know right now, like, hey, man, you can make like a real positive, you know, impact on society and do something and show leadership once again to go hey, the time for change is now, and I see that, and I'm going to change this ridiculous Redskins name into a name that is you know, more glorifying to Native Americans or something more positive, whatever it may be. I would hope he would do that. I would hope he could look at himself in the mirror and do those type of things. But you know, these, these days of the George Preston Marshalls and Confederate monuments and things like that, it's over. It's done. It should be over. It's, it's, it's disrespectful to a huge part of our country, and I don't want to see it. I'm a white American, and I got nothing to feel uncomfortable about racially. But when I used to pass by that kind of crap at Texas, I always got like the willies. I was like, what the hell is this? What are we, what are we glorifying this for? And I, I just don't like it. So I'm, I'm all in for of the George Preston Marshalls and all that type of stuff to come down and let's move on with more of a, a positive frame of society and not remind everybody of bad things all the time. The connection to slavery is grounds enough for making those changes. The fact that a lot of these individuals were part of an effort to overthrow the government of the United States right. should be all that we need to realize that they should not be glorified and never should have been in the first place. And you'll wonder what the message was to the former slaves and what the purpose right. was in glorifying them at all. All right, we got to take And then a wanted a vote to count. PFT wanted to give them the three-fifth compromise while we're there and all that crap. I, I don't want to get into history. Sorry. <laughs> no, that, no, that's the last time. I have, I have a feeling you're about as good at history as you are at Wiffle Ball. We're going to take a break. More PFT Live coming right you after. You jerk. You absolute jerk. Who called you? <laughs> 
Scary news from over the weekend. Eagles tight end Dallas Goddard in South Dakota on Friday when unprovoked someone punched him in the face. A video of the incident shows Goddard appearing to be asking a man to back away from him when a second man comes out of nowhere and delivers a hard punch to Goddard's face, knocking him to the ground. Short skirmish ensued. Other men are knocked to the ground. A woman attempts to protect Goddard from being further injured. All reports and indications are that he is fine, but it could have been a lot worse. More PFT Live right after this.